0: Who needs an alarm in the morning when McDonald's has sausage, egg, and cheese McGriddles and a breakfast cutoff? ba 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 ba
1: Voting isn't magic. You can't go to Hogwarts. There, there's no there's no wizardry school that's gonna teach was. us how to do this right. <laughs> I wish there was too. I mean, things would be <laughs> so much better. Right. But instead of being able to go to Hogwarts, we go to the school of hard knocks. Mm. And The tools that we learn to use, the power of voting, the power of showing up and holding people accountable, politics for our communities, they expect us to put our tools in the toolbox, the toolbox in the closet, and to leave that closet locked until three weeks before a presidential election. Yes. And all of the work that I've been doing is about how do I teach people, not only do you have a toolbox, but you can use the ratchet set. You can swap out the nuts and bolts. You can do multiple things. You don't just have to pull out the hammer. You got all the tools. But they try to convince us that the only tool of ours that works is the hammer. And that the only time it works is on this one thing on this one day. And I know that we have an entire tool set. And that when we build things, they last. 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 Welcome to Wow Black, a seriously opinionated podcast bringing you the real and raw on anything happening while black. If black culture's there, we're there. If you're pissed or empowered, then let's talk about it. Ride with us on this all black everything.
0: What's good, family? This is Vince coming to you before an episode, a really, really special episode, actually. You already read the title, so you know who's on it. Today, we've got leader Stacey Abrams running for governor of Georgia. I actually voted for her yesterday, and I'm getting ready to talk to you about voting. But even before I do that, if you have not voted already, please go do so. This has been an interesting week for me. Not in a bad way by any means. Slightly emotional. Today is uh, actually the anniversary of my father's passing. And maybe that's why I'm thinking about some of these things. I don't, I don't even know, to be honest with you. But I got pulled into a focus group early. Actually, I'm, I'm, I'm a to back up. Earlier this week, I got a chance to sit down in a room with about 20 different but crazy powerful black men. We sat there. We all laughed. We talked. None of us knew each other, so we made the standard jokes and we introduced ourselves. The room was full of like a crazy dope energy and commentary and smiles and it was all black men. None of us said it, but I'm sure all of us felt it. It was it is special to engage with other Positive, powerful black men. And this is the kind of group that, no matter what, they're always going to have something to say and always going to have perspective to share. We were pulled together by a friend of mine and actually a friend of Wild Black. She's been on before, Miss Ann Hill Bond, and she's getting ready to come back on in a couple of weeks to talk about some super dope work she's doing regarding. Atlanta history and black history specifically. But we were talking with and into a new news organization in Atlanta. I'm going off of memory, forgive me. I think it's called Capital B. I'm going to double check that, but I think it's called Capital B. And what they wanted to what they wanted to do was like really get into the nitty-gritty of voting while black and male. This was a focus group and we were all there. By this point, we'd probably been there 20 minutes and everyone had their food. I know you're wondering because this is a room full of black folks. I had brown stew chicken. Most of the cats in there had the same thing or oxtails. It was Jamaican. It was, it was, it was fire too. I know, I know you're wondering. But the quiet that comes with eating, especially when black folks eat, had passed. That silence was gone. And we were back to animated commentary, talking, getting to know each other. And Ann jumps in with the first question. Why do you vote? That was question number one. The room fell silent. Every man who had so much to say just a moment before sat quietly. No one spoke. No one said anything. And you could see the thoughts passing across each of our faces. Why do we vote? Why do, why do I vote? After, a, I don't know, it, it, it felt like five minutes, but it was probably 30 or 40 seconds. The first person spoke. And after him, another guy spoke. And third, I finally spoke. I'll tell you what I said, ultimately, what, what we all said in just a moment. But first, I want to tell you across my mind immediately after I spoke. It was, how would my white friends and associates answer that question? What would they say? Would they have that same pause to think? Would they struggle deciding if the truth was the right thing to say? Does my real answer make me look more black or less black? Does my truth show my political ignorance? Will they still see me as smart if I tell them why I really vote? Why the hell do I vote? Even though I had an answer, those were the questions running through my mind. Forgive me, Wild Black, because this one, this one's different. Like I told you, it's a, it's a different day. It's a, it's a bit of, a, of an emotional day, and I'm kind of coming off the top of my head with these real thoughts in real time. So, what I did was the thing that I'm actually really, really good at. I asked that question. I don't mean in the moment, I mean, Later, after the focus group, I reached out to white people that I knew. And I I asked them, why do you vote? I wanted to believe that the answers were going to be the same as the answers I heard in that room. But I I knew they couldn't. Our histories are, are too different for our motivations to be the same. A vote to them may be just a name on a ballot. Because the rights that they enjoy from the Declaration of Independence are guaranteed and actually unalienable. Whereas ours prove over and over and over that they are not. For us, for me, for us, for you, a vote is a request. No, I actually would say a vote is a demand for visibility, for representation, for equality. For the right to build powerful legacies. I think it's a demand for better treatment today and tomorrow. I think a vote is an extension of every battle that's been fought before us. Maybe it's medicine for every dog bite. Payback for every water hose turned on us. A big fuck you, a big fuck you for every noose tied. It's a, a life granted for every life taken. For me, it's a promise to every black person who was forced to live badly or broken or beaten that you will live upright with your shoulders back and your, your head held high with, without shame. I think a vote is hope. And our hopes at a basic and fundamental level are simply different than are theirs. When I asked, my white friends and associate. when I asked them the question, there was no pause. There was no moment of thinking and questioning what they're about to say. For them, that answer came quick, lightning fast, because it's my right. That was the most prevalent answer I got, because it's my right. The second thing they said in various ways was that I have a say in the rules that govern my world. Again, they said that in different ways, but the thematic, the point was the same. Voting is my right, therefore I vote. Voting is how I change the system around me, therefore I vote. Now, for me, that was interesting because it's, it is their right, but it's always been. They haven't, they haven't been questioned on the validity of their right. There hasn't been systematic efforts to defraud, to oppress, to suppress their vote. They don't even recognize that as a real thing because they can and always have been able to do so. They've always been able to vote without question, without thought, without extra effort. That's privilege. Back to the room I was in and the pause that I felt when the question of why do you vote was asked. Neither my answer nor the two answers that came before me had anything to do with our rights. The answers had nothing to do with changing the rules or the world around us. We hadn't even gotten to that. My answer and the two before me, as well as every answer after, rang so loudly with obligation to ancestries. Our answers spoke to the fight.
1: If you went on a road trip and you didn't stop for a Big Mac or drop a crispy fry between the car seats or use your McDonald's bag
0: as a placemat, then that wasn't a road trip. It was just a really long drive.
1: Bada At participating McDonald's.
0: The blood, the death of so many men and women before us and probably after us, that meant we had to be there. For, for me, it was about conversations with my grandfather who couldn't vote most of his life and his stories. For me, it was remembering my parents voting, but not sharing with anyone why they voted. For me, it was knowing that I would be letting people down if I didn't vote, even before I understood the real power of my vote. For me, for us, it wasn't about our rights. It was about all the wrongs that had been forced upon us as we fought for what was right, what is right. I'll stop here, right, because I do want to get you into the episode with Stacy, but I wanted to share how I felt and, and what I experienced in this last week. The last thing I say is, and you've heard me say this before in, in different ways, but we are not our ancestors. We are their wildest dreams, and that comes with a responsibility. That responsibility is to keep pushing boundaries and creating things that are so powerful, so awesome so amazing that they outstrip the dreams of our ancestors. I want our realities to be so divine that they surpass what our ancestors saw when they closed their eyes at night to sleep, to weep, or to pray. Our lives are not enough. We owe them far, far more. Leader Abrams, Stacey Abrams, has a chance to become the future our ancestors prayed for and the history that our grandchildren will study. She can be, nope, she should be the first black female governor in this country's history. But that potential is only realized through us. If you live in Georgia, you have to go and vote. If you live anywhere in this country, you have to go and vote. You have to contribute your piece of hope to our Tomorrow, it is simply that important. I'll leave you with this question. Why do you vote? Or why do you choose not to? And what would you lose if you made this your first time or your 50th? For those of you all who want to engage further with this episode, go join our Patreon community, patreon.com slash wildblack. It's the only place you can get the full video from this episode. And honestly, a bunch of other dope shit is there as well. Go vote.
1: Peace. At State Farm, we're committed to uplifting black futures. like a good neighbor state farm is there
0: enjoy the episode everybody welcome back to wild black unfortunately art cannot be here with us today but we have an absolutely amazing and very very special episode for you you've heard us talk about our guest today in powerful and amazing ways and i could not be more excited to have leader stacy abrams with us on the show today stacy welcome to wild black
1: Thank you
0: for having me. Absolutely. Okay, so the way we do things here, we're going to have fun, we're going to spread some information, we're going to build some bridges to help people go from where they are to where they want to be. But first, we got to get into our icebreakers. We call this wild black shit. It is fun. It is three questions and it's going to tell a story. Are you ready? I'm ready. All right, first one. Now, you know us, black folks, we love to cook, we love to eat, and most importantly, we love to brag about what we have cooked or we have eaten. So, In your opinion, what is the quintessential Black folks food item? And what is the one thing that can nobody mess with you on in the kitchen? What is your I came to slay meal?
1: Okay. Well, the one thing that is quintessential Black food is macaroni and cheese. Amen. Uh, You can tell a lot about a cook based on (laughs) whether they can make it. Uh, Amen. And you you can also tell a lot about whether your friendships will survive. So there's that. (laughs) Uh, I... (laughs) I make just a really good, I'm really good with chicken. That's mainly the meat I eat. So I can do variations on chicken. You tell me what country you want to be in. I can make you that chicken dish.
0: Okay. So what I heard was an invite to dinner. I will take you up on that. I appreciate it.
1: Absolutely.
0: Don't play with me now. Don't play with me now. (laughs) All right. Question two. It's election night. It's election night. Yes. The votes are tallying. The polls are closing and your entire team is on edge. You're surrounded by family, friends, supporters, and you got to break the tension. So you do what we do so well. You turn it into game night. What are the three games that you bring to the table?
1: Spades, Monopoly, and I actually like checkers. I, I, I prefer chess, but I'm good at checkers too. But I think Thanks. spades because, you know, people, get, people need the outlet to talk trash. You bring True. Monopoly because people want, <laughs> people, you can get out all of your aggression and you bring checkers because the people who think that they're good at chess, this makes them feel better about themselves. Who's your spades partner? My dad. He taught me how to play. Does he renege? Oh, no, no, no. My, my dad does not. No. He's, my dad is, so he taught me how to play spades. And when I was at Spelman, I may have augmented my financial aid by playing at Morehouse and being underestimated. <laughs> and I, financial aid I
0: augmentation—I hadn't heard to put that <laughs> way, but I feel you on that one. <laughs> oh.
1: <laughs> All
0: right, our our last "Wild Black" shit question. It is the question we ask every single guest, and one that our listeners have come to truly love. What do you love
1: most about life while black? The extraordinary diversity of who we are. Uh, yeah. You know, I went to a Black women's college and you don't realize just how diverse Black people are until you've taken out race and gender. <laughs> yeah. You realize just the remarkable, not only the differences, but how we come to the same spaces from so many different places. Right. Uh, my, my roommate who was from Detroit, who helped me understand uh, why th- there were certain r Music I didn't listen to, but she got me into it. My roommate from Fort Wayne, Indiana, who introduced me to Yo-Yo Ma, my, my friends who just helped me expand who I was and recognize that Blackness is not one thing. Sometimes it's just everything. everything. And that's, that I think is the grace of who we are.
0: Absolutely. Blackness is everything. And, and I love that because we prove it over and over in so many ways innovation, inspiration, education, Absolutely. like we continue to do that, even with what we fight with and struggle with inside the country, which, honestly, I think we'll get to a little bit because that's one of the reasons I'm excited for what you have done and you are doing in Georgia and for the greater country and community, like it truly excites me. And and so to that, one of the things that I'm excited to do in this time today is, is have a conversation with you, hopefully just a little bit different than some of the others. I want to get a chance to take our listeners and our followers behind the curtain a little bit and talk to them about who are you for real? Like not, not who they just see on television, not who they see in interviews, not who they see in the ads and the posters, but who are you? Not Leader Abrams, not Stacy Abrams, <laughs> but but who is Stacy from from down the street? Right, who who is Stacy to her homegirls? How how do you tell us who you really are?
1: So let's go back to the question about food. Uh, you know, my signature meal is crusted chicken romano with uh, three prepper risotto. I make a roasted asparagus soup, and then um, I'll usually make green beans, and then a cheesecake. And I think what that signals is, I, I love cooking, I love challenging myself. i am I love my friends and my family. I think the other piece that sometimes gets lost in the the conversations you know i'm I'm an introvert by by nature, but introversion doesn't mean you don't like people. it just means yeah you know, it yeah. can be a little harder yeah. and I think sometimes my natural introversion can be mistaken for aloofness or distance. But also the urgency that I feel around things sometimes can be seen as impatience. And I'm not impatient with people, I'm impatient with mess, with problems. Yeah. Because I grew up watching communities suffer. And so what my my friends will tell you, especially my friends from college, my friends uh, now, that you know, you don't get to be friends with me without being pulled into this larger orbit of how we get stuff done because I want us all to have the same opportunities. I want us all to get to what we need. And so I, I, I say that to say, when I was at Spelman during the Rodney King uh, protest, I got a bunch of my, my friends at Spelman to call all of the television stations. For anybody under 40, this was before there was the internet <laughs> and you had to dial landlines. And we called these television stations that were reporting falsely about what was happening in the black community. And somebody said, "Well, they want to know who you are, who we are, when we're calling." I said, "Just tell them you're me." So you had like seventy two Stacey Abrams is calling and blocking phone lines, and and for my friends, there was never a question of why are we doing this. They were just like, "Well, Stacey said go do this," or Stacey asked us to do this. And I think the core, the core of who I am, is the reason I, I do this stuff. I yeah. I don't know how not to, right? But I also don't think that it's to be it should be divorced. From any other part of who I am. And I think that there are some who see politics as separate from the rest of their lives. And for me, politics is just a tool. It's not who I am, it's not what I do. It's a tool to get done the things that we need to do. And whether I do it through politics or through policy or through advocacy or through business or through writing, it's just another tool for how do we get good stuff done.
0: Yeah. You know, I love the correlation of politics to a tool. And and here's why. Because for any tradesman, for any person who is good with a tool, they have gone through some type of training, right? Whether it's formal, on the job, whether they read, there was some investing of time to become better Mm -hmm. at that tool. And that for me takes me to a place of politics and political leverage is a tool that every single one of us have, whether we recognize it or not. So as you sit in your seat, and you're trying to preach to people and teach people, will this weapon, this tool that is your political voice and leverage, how do you tell people to become sharper? At that tool Where do people go Especially those Who right now Feel disenfranchised They feel unempowered They do not feel heard They sat their last Election out What do you tell them To go become Tradesmen And, and skilled people and, Or even marksmen With this tool of, of politics And political leverage Where can they go To become better And learn how to Really work that tool Who needs an alarm In the morning When McDonald's Has sausage Egg and cheese McGriddles and a breakfast cutoff. Ba da ba ba ba.
1: So I I usually use this analogy where I reframe politics. You know, voting isn't magic, voting is medicine. So if you hmm. use the, the the tradesman analogy, voting isn't magic. You can't go to Hogwarts. There there's no there's no wizardry school I that wish it there teaches was. Us how to do this right. <laughs> I wish there was too. I mean, things would be so much better. Right. But instead of being able to go to Hogwarts, we go to the school of hard knocks. Mm. And the tools that we learn to use, the power of voting, the power of showing up and holding people accountable, politics for our communities, they expect us to put our tools in the toolbox, the toolbox in the closet, and to leave that closet locked until three weeks before a presidential election. Yes. And yes. all of the work that I've been doing is about how do I teach people not only do you have a toolbox but you can use the ratchet set. You can swap out the nuts and bolts. You can do multiple things. You don't just have tools. to pull out the hammer. You got all the tools. But they try to convince us that the only tool of ours that works is the hammer and that the only time it works is on this one thing on this one day. And I know that we have an entire tool set and that when we build things, they last. We built the HBCU system when they told us we could not be educated.
0: Say that. I was
1: recently talking Mm. about Mary McLeod Bethune who built a hospital for Black people because one of her students nearly died of appendicitis because they put her out on the back porch and wouldn't let her inside. Mm. And in modern day, for 56% of Black Americans who live in the South, that tool is Medicaid expansion. That tool is financial aid for our students. That tool... Is voting because in this election in particular, we've got someone who has shown us what he will build and how he's going to lock the door to keep us out and how he's going to hide all of our stuff. And all we got left is that broken screwdriver, the flathead that's bent at the tip. So you can't really use it. Yes. And I want us to know that we've got all of these other tools and we can build something new because we've also just won the lottery and we've got $6 billion in Georgia's bank account. So we can not only pay for better tools, we can get those, the, the, the fun kinds, the, the, we can get the power driver, <laughs> we can rent the, the, the big equipment that we need. And that's, that's the difference, that our politics, the way we learn how to use it is to try it out. And if the, if the tool we use the time before doesn't work, you don't stop trying to fix the problem, you find a different tool. If the politician you elected didn't do the job. You don't say, oh, I don't believe in politics. You say, I want a new politician. Yes. I want a new person. Yes. But what happens in our community is when somebody doesn't deliver, we decide that the toolbox has to go. Not that we have to just swap out tools and find a better, a better mechanism to get what we need.
0: I like that. I, I like the fact of not only do we have a tool in politics, but we've got many. So we can find the one that we're most comfortable yes. with. The one we are most adept at, the the one we are best at, and the one that we need to become the sharpest with. It actually makes me think about this, and, and I alluded to this earlier, actually before we were recording, when I told you that if I believed in superheroes, you would absolutely be one. But I don't believe in superheroes. But what I do believe in is superhero moments. I do firmly believe that every single one of us will find a time in our life, if not multiple times, when everything around us points to you have an opportunity to do something momentous, something superheroic that can alter and change for the better or the worse, your community, your place, your city, your country. I firmly believe that you are in the midst of a superhero moment, right? And and I I love the fact that you are standing up and accepting that crown for the moment, right? You are standing in to to make the most of this moment. But the question I really want to ask with that, is if you are triumphant, and I pray that you are, and you've got my vote without a question, what will you be able to do as governor of Georgia that makes us all better?
1: So most of us understand what the president does and what Congress does in, in general terms, because billions of dollars are spent telling us about it. Right. We generally understand the mayor, because the mayor is really close to the people and the things that happen in our cities affect us. Right. The governor is the most powerful job that most people don't understand. Right. The right. governor sets the budget and decides how much money goes into our schools. So if you've got a child or if you've been in a school where you had to share a, a textbook, where the teacher was also the bus driver mm. because they couldn't afford to do both, when Damn. you shared a classroom with 30 kids instead of 15, that was because the governor set a budget That said they weren't going to put enough money into your school. As governor of Georgia, I can change the structure for women who are concerned about the fact that we no longer have the right to control our own bodies. That's the governor's decision. We've got enough votes in the House and the Senate, even with Republicans in charge. I can repeal that bill, but he wants to double down on it. And so if you're a black woman in particular, 56% of black people live between Texas and South Carolina, North Carolina, between Tennessee and Florida. And none of those states protect the right to choose except for North Carolina right now. Mm. That means half of the black women in America, more than half are being denied bodily autonomy. I can get it back. Mm. But we also know that in the state of Georgia, half a million people don't have healthcare. And and let's, let's be clear about what that means. That means that when someone goes in because their side is hurting and they are told that's because you have cancer, you have pancreatic cancer. In Georgia, you do not have the right to come back and get treatment until you are dying Mm. because they only have to serve you when you have an emergency. Mm. The fact that you just have cancer is not considered an emergency in Georgia and is killing our people. I can save our people. When someone has Mm. Diabetes, and if they just need metformin to get their A1C in check instead of losing their foot, in Georgia, they can't get help until it's an emergency. They can get into the hospital to cut off their foot, but they can't get to a pharmacist to get metformin unless we expand Medicaid. You have the power to save lives because this governor has said explicitly he will never, ever give 500,000 people health care. If you have had a family mm-hmm. member who just needed a little extra help when they got to college, they just needed a little extra money, but you know they're going to have to drop out if there's an emergency. This governor has said he does not intend to invest in need-based aid. He if you, if he believes in merit only. And you and I both know that merit is a false narrative when it is decoupled from the reality of how economics work in our system, that you can't put someone in an underfunded Absolutely. school and say that they haven't proved their merit. I know that we've got to make up for the mistakes that get made, and that's why I want Georgia to be no longer one of only two states without without need-based aid. I can, in January of 2023, I can make it possible for students at HBCUs and Black students across the state and students across the state to finally have financial aid by their next semester. I can do that as governor. I can help small businesses that looked around for money and couldn't find it. Georgia has $6 billion and a governor who took PPP, but didn't give a dime to anybody else. I can make certain that they get contracts and that they get access to purchasing. I intend to be the Maynard Jackson of Georgia, and he is known for creating black wealth unlike any other political leader in American history. And I can do that as governor without legislation. You just need a leader who believes in us. And so those are just a few of the things, education, healthcare. Oh yeah. And we have a little housing crisis in Georgia. The current governor says he doesn't want to upset investors by talking about rent control and inclusionary zoning. I want us to talk about tenants and homeownership. He won't do anything. He's sitting on $400 million sent to Georgia for our needs, and he won't spend the money because he doesn't think we deserve it. Mm. You can be a superhero by keeping people in their homes, keeping veterans under roofs instead of under bridges. That's our superhero moment. And all it takes, it sounds fantastical like any superhero story. It sounds like, well, it can't possibly be true that one person has this power. Yes, one person, the governor of Georgia. And if I'm the governor of Georgia, I can tackle every single one of those issues and I can tackle gun violence. I can make it safer to be here, but we need one person. We need that, we need that origin story to start right now.
0: Stacey, you do not know how much I love that. So what we just did was we took the individual and their ability to wield their power in tools. We coupled it with the superhero moment that you are in and the powers bestowed on the governor's office. That is the new Avengers. Like, that's what we're striving for. That's the team. That's why it is so important to vote, to know who you're voting for, to partner with them, to build— Like. Together, even Thanos can't stop us. I'm, a, I'm an Avengers and, and, and Marvel fan, so forgive that one. <laughs>
1: oh, no, no, no. From, from way back. I, I do appreciate the Doom Patrol in very interesting ways. When something happens to your kitchen, you might say, this is ludicrous. But that won't fix your home. That will only get you the rapper, Ludicrous. Having trouble? Don't panic. Don't
0: be alarmed. You need to file a claim? Holla at State Farm. Like a
1: good neighbor, State Farm is there. That's right. You can file a claim on the app or call us. Thanks, Mr. Chris. No matter how ludicrous the situation, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. State Farm, Bloomington, Illinois.
0: <laughs> All right. So, one of the things that I think is important is we have a large group of folks who vote and who are not going to miss an opportunity. To vote and use their power. But we also have a large group of people who don't. And they do so or do not do so for various reasons. But I'm going to assume that some of those reasons live inside of I don't trust the politicians that have been in office. I don't understand the power of my vote. I don't yet know how to yield and wield this tool of political leverage. For those people, what can you help us understand about who you are as a person? that will help to move them from the couch to the voting booth? What can you tell them as a person seeking their vote for governor of Georgia that tells them I'm focused and I'm thinking about you as an individual and I want to be there to support you? How do we form this Avenger team together?
1: So you've probably heard recently that all, there's a lot of chatter about black men and it's not grounded in any reality yes. other than trying to divide black people and. And pit us against one another. But, but let's be clear. Part of what fomented that narrative was that I was having conversations with black men intentionally, publicly, instead of whispering to you on the side and saying, read between the lines. I said, here's who I am. Here's what I want to do. And here's why I know you may not believe me because I believe it's my responsibility to treat voters with respect and you can't respect someone you don't talk to. You can't serve someone you don't listen yeah. to. And so I had a series of events that turned into, oh my God, she must be in trouble. I'm like, no, oh my God, if I want this job, I need to ask the people who are hiring me to trust me and I need to show them why. Amen. And I've had those conversations Amen. and that's what I did in 18 It's what I'm doing now. But the other part of it is, Darius, and what I think is so critical, I want this job because I've lived these lives. I have two brothers, one who has yes. been in and out of the carceral system. He has a mental health challenge and he has a drug addiction. And when he commits crimes, I want people to be able to call the police because they should not be victims of my brother's diseases. I want them to have help. Yeah. But when my brother gets arrested, he should not lose his humanity just because he loses his freedom. Yes. And so I got eaten up a little bit earlier this year when I said, I want correctional officers to make more than $27,000 a year. Because when you make $27,000 a year working in a prison, you are going to be more susceptible to not doing the job or you're going to be understaffed. And I want you to be able to protect my brother from the gangs that are going to prey on him. And when he comes out, I want the community supervision officers that are supposed to help him get on the road to redemption versus the road to recidivism to be paid enough that they're taking care of him, not working two extra jobs. And so, when people hear me talk about paying law enforcement, if you read what I said, it was let's make certain that those who were supposed to protect and help guide our friends and family who are coming back or who were incarcerated, that's what I wanna do. But on the other side, I've got another brother who for 15 years was a social worker. And he has told me so many stories of driving while black, being pulled over, being afraid that even though he has a concealed carry permit, that he's going to get shot before he can tell people that he has the right to do it. And he carries this weapon because he works with some of the the most dangerous communities in our state. And I want police to be held accountable for treating my brother with respect. And so what I want folks to know is that I have a lived experience unlike anyone we have ever considered for this job. And that I bring that lived experience with me. But don't just trust what I say I'm going to do. Look at what I have done. When I didn't get the job last time, I paid off the medical debts of, 40, of 68,000 people. I put 151 Wi-Fi devices mm-hmm. in communities that didn't have access to the internet when the current governor ignored them and basically told them to go sit in a parking lot at McDonald's if they wanted to get on the internet. I put money into small businesses, especially black and brown-owned businesses. That's what I did when I didn't have the job. Imagine what I'll do when I get it. Mm.
0: Well, Stacey, we are going to do everything we can to get you that job. I'm a believer. I'm a supporter. I am grateful for your time. I thank you. I know the listeners of Wild Black will gain from this and will learn. And I want to be respectful of your time, as I told you in the beginning. So I will let you go. And I will leave you with one final question and one word answer.
1: I do need to say one quick thing. I need people to go to stacyabrams.com/ slash voting to get all the information you need. And early voting starts October 17th through November 4th. Make sure you cast your ballot early so voter suppression doesn't get us. Now, back to you.
0: Amen, <laughs> amen. Last question, one word answer. This could be the deciding factor for a new voter. Are you team sugar or team salt and butter in your grits? Salt and butter. That's all we needed. Stacy, thank you so much. <laughs> I am so excited. I can't wait to get to the polls and cast my vote for you. I appreciate your time.
1: Thank you for having me. This has been a delight.
0: Take care, sister. Thank you.